How are everyone this morning? It's good to be here. It's good to see some friends that I haven't seen for years. It was also good to fellowship with the leadership of the church last night at Dr. Suparno's house. And when I first got the invitation to uh, speak this morning, I, I asked Mike Brumel, is it okay to bring Verity-style preaching? Uh, Verity is our youth um, ministry here at JICF. And what we usually do is we give out candies for those that uh, be able to answer the right questions. So uh, we have a couple of candies here. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to throw all the way to the back, but uh, we have some folks that already raised his hands, eager to answer the questions. But this morning, uh, I'd like to begin um, with a question. Um, who have heard the sports of golf? Please raise your hands. If you've read about it or watch it on TV or you play it, um, if you know the sport of golf, please raise your hands. Uh, well, how many of you are actually are golfers? Higher. And uh, how many of you disapprove your spouse playing golf? <laughs> now, you cannot lie in church, so you can raise your hands. No one. Huh? No one? So, um, I love golf, personally. Um, and it's the one sport, I mean, I play many sports, but it's the one sport I spend my time practicing, reading about it, um, reading about how to get better in, in, in golf. Uh, I even do specific golf exercises, uh, so I get better. Now, if golf is not your forte, uh, I'm sure you have some other hobbies or interests that gets you excited as much as I get excited about golf. Maybe it's cycling, maybe it's boating, or diving, or photography. But whatever it is, you can't wait until the day that you do those things, right? So let's imagine this scenario um, that tomorrow, I need a break after today, right? Uh, so tomorrow I'll be uh, playing golf. So what I would do typically is I would go home today and I would, you know, uh, go to my uh, basement and, uh, and I would take my clubs and I would count that there are 14 of these clubs here. Uh, that's regulation. If you are 15, then you are disqualified from the game. So there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 14. I need to make sure that I have my umbrella to protect me from the sun and the rain. And I need to prepare additional things, which uh, I happen to bring here with me today. Um, I need my golf shoes, my uh, rainy hats, um, you know, the tees, right? Uh, my golf shirt, shorts, socks. Um, hats, uh, and if tomorrow I'm playing a difficult course, I would sure to bring extra balls, uh, just in case I lose a couple of them, right? Now, the next items are illegal in tournament golf, but for amateur golf like us, they are permitted, right? We have the GPS watch to tell you how far you are from 
where you stand to the flag, the pin, right? But the GPS only work in open space. If you happen to be under the tree, you can't really tell the distance. So what you need is an electronic rangefinder <laughs> to tell how far you are from the pin, right? But as most of you golfers know, we need a backup for the backup, right? So this is the backup for my watch. And if this happens to run out of battery, I have a manual rangefinder, you know? Just in case, right? It runs out of battery. And if you get close enough to the green, and you can't even use the manual, I have this thing to measure the, how far am I to the, to the green, right? So if you play golf with me before, I think you'll have fun. Now, in Indonesia, we're privileged to have caddies to, to, um, to um, accompany us. And sometimes, those caddies are very inexperienced. So when you are on the green, um, they really can't tell the undulations of the greens, you know? And uh, you have to read it yourself. For me, I have a special tool. It's called the level. So this tells you, like, how, you know, which way the ball is leaning, which way the green is leaning. So I just want to make sure that I, 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 I aim in the right direction. So I don't know. That's my typical day before uh, I prepare myself for a golf game. Um, how about you? Uh, with your hobbies, do you get excited as much as I get excited when uh, about golf? See, we get excited about different things in life because we're emotionally connected um, to what we love and sometimes what we idolize. And the question is how does golf preparation uh, ties into today's sermon? And I think um, the question we should be asking ourselves is, do we get excited in our preparation in welcoming Christ's second coming as we get excited to our hobbies uh, or our interests or the things that we idolize, right? Uh, so before we begin the sermon, I just want to mention that um, I'm not here to advertise any of the product. Therefore, illustration purposes only. If you are a golfer or golfer-to-be, don't buy them just because I have them, right? Uh, and the results may vary. <laughs> so um, the title for today's sermon is The Second Coming of Christ. Um, are you prepared to meet him? It's a difficult topic to, um, to preach, um, but I'll try to make it as fun and um, as possible so everybody gets to follow. Uh, do I have? Yeah. So let me recap on where we are. Um, we are on the 25th chapter on the book of Matthew. And Matthew is a storyteller. Um, he wrote the book, um, the birth, the life, the teaching, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And the way he plays the parables is almost like a, in a crescendo manner. 
you know, it, it builds up until Matthew chapter 25. It ends with the parable of the talents. So he began the parables uh, with the parable of the sower, um, where the fields is the earth, and how God's word is received by those of us that are here on earth, and what we do with those words. And it ends with the parable of the talents. It's meant for believers. Um, what do you do with the gift that God has given to you? Right? So let us open in a word of prayer before we dive into the words. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning as we come before you as a congregation that we're able to fellowship, to meet in, in person. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, um, to be here. Uh, open our hearts and our ears, Lord, to listen to your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to go to verses 1 to 13. Now, in many of the Bible translation, it's uh, titled The Parable of the Virgins, The Ten Virgins or the parable of the wise and foolish uh, virgins. But I think I like the uh, translation from the New Living Translation better. It's, called, it's titled, Parable of the Ten Bridesmaids. Um, let's read um, this together. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him in the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. So when I came across this um, passage, um, I had to do a little bit of digging. Um, I read a little bit about the custom of the Jewish wedding tradition uh, in the past. And what is interesting is the marriage uh, procession. It's actually a long ordeal. Um, many different events happening. Right? So the, the man and his family would visit the women's family, and asked for her hand. And once it's accepted, the man and his family would return back to his father's house to prepare the house for the actual wedding feast. And he would prepare for the room, and he would prepare for the feast. What's interesting, and it's not mentioned here, because Jesus was living in that time of, of time, is that only the father of the bridegroom know the day and the hour in which he allows the son to go out and fetch or basically go to the bride's house and 
bring her back to his house. So when Jesus spoke in uh, the Gospels about uh, only the Father knows the time, he was referring to this culture where only the fathers knows when their son would be allowed to go out and be united with his bride. Another interesting fact is that in those days, um, because the bride's party do not know when the bridegroom is coming, they would have a watch party. They would, have, they would send people uh, just on the edge of town just to keep watch and when the bridegroom entourage is coming to the, the city. And so when the bridegroom arrived, you know, they would, you know, lit the lamp and somebody would actually run back to the bride's house and inform the bride, hey, look, the bridegroom is here with the people. You better get ready. So it gives her time and her family ready uh, to receive the bridegroom. So that's the context that we have um, this morning, right? The bridesmaids uh, were part of the wedding party. Um, they were part of the watch party because they were out there waiting for the bridegroom. But because no one except the fathers knows the time, um, some have, all of them fell asleep. So in summary, um, oops, uh, we have uh, five things that happened, right? Uh, all of them were waiting for the bridegroom. They all checked. All brought lamps. Checked. They all fell asleep. Checked. But only the five wise bridesmaids brought extra oil with them. And only those five wise bridesmaids entered the marriage feast. Um, many have referred, Jesus referred himself as the bridegroom, and the bride, the church, right? He comes to pick the church at the end times. I feel that when Jesus is speaking here in the parable of the bridesmaids, is that the bridesmaids are the believers of the body of Christ. Uh, and then the marriage feast, obviously, is that we're united um, with Christ uh, in heaven. There are a total of three parables that describe the banquet and the feast um, in the four Gospels. Uh, two of them were found in Matthew, Matthew 22nd, Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding banquet. Um, there's the Matthew 25, what we're discussing today, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and finally Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet. There are stark differences between these parables. Uh, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on what is said in Matthew 22nd. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. Again, the father, the king, only knows the time, right? Only when it's ready. But those who were invited said to his servants, uh, the wedding feast is ready and the guests are invited unworthy of honor. Now go out to the street corner and invite everyone you see. So the king was upset that those that were invited uh, had a lot of excuses, right? So he commanded his servants to just go out in the streets and find 
by strangers and invite them to the wedding. Now in Luke 14, verses 15 to 24, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. The guests began to make excuses not to attend the feast. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. So if we make comparison um, on the parables on Matthew 22 and 14 with Matthew 25, in the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, there were no invited guests mentioned. Nothing. It's only mentioned about the bridesmaids. Right? And strangers were invited in the first two parables, but not in the bridesmaids. In Matthew 22 and Luke 14, um, they were not part of the wedding. They were strangers and they were invited guests. So many have um, comment on Matthew 22 and Luke 14, the fact that Jesus came Remember, Israel was the chosen nation, right? They were the chosen nation. God chose them um, to be his people. But they have rejected Christ. And so Christ came to spread the gospel to the good news that the good news is now made available for all of us, not only for the Jews. And in the parable of the ten bridesmaids, Jesus directed this parable to us believers because we are already in the party. We're not invited guests. We're not strangers, but we are part of the wedding party. The key message that um, I'm going to speak today about uh, are you prepared, um, there are three components to it. The first is when you're preparing for something, you must first believe 100%. There is no halfway. Right? Just as I get excited about my golf game, right? as you get excited about other things, you must believe on what you're doing 100%. Uh, if not, then the theory falls apart. The Bible actually is quite simple. It's, it's uh, divided into two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament sometimes is uh, said, New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament um, fulfilled or revealed. And the two time frames in red is Jesus' birth, death, um, resurrection. And then on the right side, all the way to the right, it's his second coming. Now, you cannot believe on his second coming without first belief that he has come in the first place. You cannot believe that he has come in the first place unless you believe that he resurrected from the dead, that he had died, that he was crucified, that he lived his life ministering, that his life was prophesied, all the way from the beginning of creation. Now, I've uh, taken some uh, prophecy on the life of Christ. Um, there are about 44 
Um, if you want to have the list, um, email the, the church and we'll pass it. So there are 44 prophecies written not by just one person, not just in one period of time, but it spans centuries. And the people that wrote these prophecies are kings, shepherds, prophets, many characters that wrote the prophecies of the Bible. So the question is, if you believe on his second coming, you must all believe all the way up to the creation. If none of these uh, you believe, then the theory falls apart. There's a period of 400 years gap between the last book in the Old Testament and the book of Matthew. Uh, at that particular point in time, it seems God is absent from this world. Nothing is um, written in the Bible, but the world thrives. Um, the Romans um, expanded their territories, vast and huge. They were the most powerful nation at that time. But what I want to talk about today here is whatever situation you are in right now, that God is there for you. You may have marital issues. You may have challenges in your work, your health. Can you find God in your life? So here's a quiz. What are the names of God in the Old Testament? Anyone? Yes. Adonai is one. You get one over here. <laughs> Yahweh. Who said Yahweh? You get one over here. Jehovah Jireh is my uh, provider. There's one. Elohim. That's another one right here. Elroy, that's nice. Anybody else? El Shaddai. How about... Uh, these are the names of gods in the Old Testament. Some of it you may know. Uh, some of it you may um, just come across it. Are you... Uh, ill today? Do you believe that he is the God that heals? Are you suffering in your business? Do you believe that he is your provider? Is he your Adonai that someone mentioned here? That he is the master of your life? Is there something in your life that you're not willing to give up? So, for you to be prepared, right, you must believe 100%. Whatever your situation is today, uh, he is right there with you. Now, the next slide that I'm going to share is I want you to take a look at the stories that uh, is going to be up there. And think about the questions. If you were there, would you believe? If not, why not? 
So we've heard the story of Abraham and Isaac before. In fact, many more times. Right? God promised Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants will be as countless as the stars in the sky or as numerous as the sands and the seas, the oceans. Okay? Now, when we read the Bible, sometimes we tend to glance over um, the intricacies of the writers that wrote the Bible. Regardless of what translations you have, um, if you turn to Genesis chapter 22, verse 3 to 5, this is what it says on the New Living Translation. The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So the key word there is, we will come right back. So when we read the stories, we've heard it many times, we tend to glance over when we read it. But if you really think about it, how did Abraham know that there would be a, a lamb that got stuck to substitute Isaac, right? But he knew because he had faith. He knew that God would not do that to him. He had covenant with him. And he knew that when God had a covenant with Abraham, he knew that God would not break the covenant. So he had that confidence with him. Do you have the same confidence like Abraham? What if he told you to not sign a business contract because it's dishonoring to God? Would you sign it? Would you sacrifice that? What if you, um, God asked you to um, not continue or pursue a relationship with someone because it's dishonoring to God? What would you do? Uh, what about... Joshua and the city of Jericho. You know, in those days, the Israelites were traveling um, to the promised land. And, you know, they were traveling in the desert. And there were many skirmishes along the way. Many people were attacking the Israelites, right? But they have not faced a formidable enemy until they arrive in Jericho. It is a fortified city, uh, tall with walls, right? And then... God told the leader, Joshua, hey, drop your weapons. Just invite your worship leader and uh, tabernacle. Go around the city seven times a day. And, and on the seventh day, you know, just, hey, praise the Lord, you know. If you were the two million Jews traveling with Joshua, would you believe? What about Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal? Elijah challenged them for a barbecue contest. If you know these stories, right? Uh, Elijah told these prophets of Baal, hey, uh, give an offering and see if Baal would hurt your prayer. You know, ask, uh, ask them for a barbecue contest. And Elijah told them and Baal didn't answer. So Elijah said, you know what? Pour a lot of water into my offering, my meat, right? 
more. And when Elijah prayed, God sent fire and consumed the whole thing. He had great faith. What about Jonah? Or what about Daniel? He was living in an exile, in a different culture, different language. But yet, Daniel honored God with his life. Are you living in a country where the laws are different than our beliefs? Are you going to honor God even though the local laws and regulations are different? Where do you stand? What about Jonah? I think he's the most, uh, what's the right word? Um, vengeful, evil prophets that I come across, right? He knew that God would forgive the people of Nineveh if he goes there. He knew, without a doubt. So what did he do? He ran away. But God has his will that he would want Jonah to go preach and deliver the good news so that the people of Nineveh would repent. Right? God disciplined Jonah for three days in the belly of a fish. Is God disciplining you because you are running away from something? Regardless of what He is doing, His will will be done in your life. I know it is difficult to uh, accept that, but that's our God. He, he cares for you and He loves you. What about in the New Testament, Jesus feeding the 5,000? Do you know how much it takes to prepare 5,000 loaves of bread? At least for 5,000 people, these are men. Some people believe that they were women and children as well, so the number could double. What about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? There were people around when that happened. If you were there, would you believe? Now, there's a passage in the Bible. Uh, I wonder we don't use that often. And that's John chapter 6, verses 47 to 67. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm just going to read some of the most uh, important part. Uh, it begins with, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestor ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Verse 66, 
At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. This is the only instance in the Bible that specifically mentioned that his disciples or the people around Jesus deserted him because they find it difficult to understand. And verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12, the disciples, and asked, are you also going to leave? These are tough questions. Are you going to leave? Just because you see a problem in your life that you can't overcome, you see the mountain instead of seeing the God, If you were there, would you believe? If not, why not? I cannot answer those questions. That's for you uh, to meditate and, and to ponder and to ask yourself why. So you must believe 100% and you must have an absolute trust in God. And that way, then you can begin your preparation. The next is how to keep the lamp burning. Now, I had this picture up because that's what most commonly known in those days. Um, they say that every 15 minutes you have to top up the oil, um, trim the wick, and replace the wick. So it takes effort and time um, to keep the lamp burning. Now, there is a golf tool that uh, I did not show earlier when I started the illustration. If you started playing golf in Indonesia, you probably would not know this tool. But if you grow up overseas, you probably know this tool. This tool is created for one purpose and one purpose only. Anybody can guess? It's called the divot repair tool. This tool is created so that you can repair the indentation on the green, the purely perfect manicured green, because the ball makes dance when it landed on the green, on the grass. So this tool is to repair that dance. They call it divot. And this is called the divot repair tool. It comes in many shapes and style. This is the futuristic looking ones. Um, this is the traditional kinds. Regardless of what shapes and color, it has only one job, which is to repair the divot. God created us in many different shapes different colors, different ethnicities, different languages, but we serve one purpose, which is to glorify him with our lives. Now, if you are a divot tool, how are you going to make an impact? If it stays in the back, the next golfers will have a mess, right? We'll have a lot of divots all over the greens. They won't enjoy it, right? So, if you are a divot repair tool, what can you do in your life? There are a lot of divots in this world. 
We have about 130 teenagers here at Verity that register. Maybe if you are a doctor, a physician, a marketing specialist, a business owner, an engineer, reach out to them, talk to them about their careers plan. Maybe have an internship with your company. Reach out to someone, maybe your neighbor. Maybe they're in pain. We're created for one purpose and one purpose only, which is to glorify Him. And that's how we as believers um, should live our life and keep our lamp burning. And lastly, uh, I want to talk to you. If you are here, uh, whether you're here in person or you're watching uh, online, if you have difficulties understanding of what it means to follow Christ and what we're talking about, how can we make that commitment? How can we help you make that commitment? Um, some of you may be shy in, in, in admitting, but you know, after the service, uh, come see me or some of the um, elders in the church. Uh, how can we help you make that commitment? I'll end today's sermon with two verses. The first one is uh, Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He is coming, and everyone will see which side will you be on? And if you haven't made that decision today, how can we help you make that commitment? If you have questions, feel free to come see any of us. I'll end with this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the parables of the ten bridesmaids is directed to us believers it's also a warning to us that we have to be a divot repair tool. Mr. Hendra spoke about uh, fallen away, and then I believe it was Mike Densmore um, expanding our roots uh, and the fruits. But you created for one thing and one purpose only, right? To glorify our God. <clears throat> Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, your word this morning. Uh, Father, this um, message is uh, for me as, as well for those of us that needed, needed to hear what you have to say about us as believers and, and our lives, Lord.
to those that are around us. If you are here as uh, who have not believed, if you want to make um, that commitment, you can raise your hands or or approach us at the end of, of service. We just want you to be the master of our lives, Lord, regardless of our situation. We thank you for your blessings, your provisions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.